Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson is going to be based on Matthew's gospel. What I want to point out to you in our worship guide is two things. First, you have our regular space to take sermon notes that, that may come up to you personally during the, during the sermon message or specific fill in the blanks. But also on the top of the next page, there are the way groups discussion questions for this week. I want to encourage all of you to consider joining a group that meets together at different times, different locations throughout the week to further grow in God's grace together to study his word. And what we do there is reflect further on the readings that we read during worship this morning. And here are the questions that you and your groups will get to discuss. They're already right here. They're also on your church center app, but they're in your worship guide as well. All right. Our sermon lesson this morning is based on Jesus, his teaching, his parable from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 43. To set the context or the stage for this lesson, note this, Jesus is about to go to the cross and die in just two short days. It's Holy Week. It's Tuesday, often called Busy Tuesday, because what is your Savior doing just moments before he goes to the cross to die for sinner's sins? He's reaching out to them. The message of his love with the tenderness of his heart, showing people, even, even the very people who will kill him, that he's here for them, to patiently love them and give to them his forgiveness. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 21. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those servants? Jesus asked. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, those who were gathered around listening to him, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. No one enjoys warnings, right? No one enjoys warnings, but warnings are good. This past week, you, me, all of us, all of Americans, we experienced a warning, didn't we? A test. At 2.20 on Wednesday, October 4th, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, you probably know FEMA, they tested their alert system. And at 2.20, I remember exactly what I was doing. Do you? I was in a meeting with some people, and all of a sudden, our, our cell phones made that really super obnoxious buzzing sound. I mean, no one likes warnings, right? But warnings are good. Warnings are good because, I mean, have you thought about it? I mean, it's probably an annoyance for you, maybe a little distracting. But think, why did FEMA test out their alert system. You know why? Well, it's because God's blessed us, blessed this nation, blessed this world with really awesome technology. And there is a system set up in place so that the leaders of our country, the president himself, within 10 minutes, he can communicate to everybody or anybody about threats of terror, natural disasters, or, or any threats to citizens in a specific place or in our entire nation, they can communicate life-saving information. I mean, think about that. No one likes warnings, but warnings are not merely good. Warnings save life. Now that you know about it, can I give you another warning? No. Now that you, you and I are on the same page, you know that, that warnings are good and life-saving. Can I give you another warning? It's a warning about words. It's a warning about God's word. It's a warning about this sermon. Here's the warning. God has warnings for us. We're in a sermon series called Tell Us a Story, where we're looking at parables, parables that, that Jesus shares with his loved ones, people he died for. And the stories, they, they teach us something about Jesus, his heart. And today he, he has warnings, four warnings in particular. He has, he has four warnings for all of us. Let's get into them. You can follow along with the gospel account on, in your worship guide. Verse 33, he says, listen to another parable. Why does he say another one? Well, remember, he, he's, he's busy preaching and teaching in, in the synagogue. Religious leaders, his disciples, they're gathered around. And this is the second of three parables he tells simultaneously about him, about his kingdom about what's to come. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. 
Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Then the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. It's God's word so far. It's a parable. It's a story about contractual obligation. I mean, the story is pretty straightforward, right? God is the owner of the vineyard. This is language used by God, not just here as he's teaching, but as we saw throughout the Old Testament, that God owns the vineyard. And look, God, God takes his time planting this vineyard. It's not just like, you know, any kind of like rough looking vineyard. No, no, no. We read it that he took his time. He put a wall around this. He dug a wine press around it. He built a watchtower. He did all of this so that the people who who work in the vineyard are safe so that the vines, the choicest, the choicest ones, they're good, they produce fruit. And I said, this is a story about contractual obligation. It, it's not that hard to put ourselves in this place. He entrusts this vineyard to other people, to farmers, and goes away. And it makes sense, right? This isn't rocket science that the owner gets some. He gets some of the produce from the vineyard, Right? makes complete sense. They should be absolutely willing to get to, you know, give some to the farmer after they get to work in this dream vineyard. But the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Here's the first warning for us. If you're taking notes in your worship guide, The first warning is this, don't confuse entrustment with entitlement. Don't confuse God's entrustment with entitlement. You've worked with someone or or maybe dealt with someone who's who's entitled, right? What what is that experience like? Well, it's a person who, who thinks that the world revolves around them, that every single one of their needs, their wishes and desires ought to be met. And and they make it known. And then what happens if their, their needs or their desires are not met? They can lash out. They can lash out. They can become very angry. And this is exactly what we see with the farmers, the tenant farmers in this parable. They're entitled. They confuse the fact that, that he didn't just give this vineyard to them and say, hey, it's yours. You can have it. You can do whatever you want with it. No, no, it was a trust. He entrusted the vineyard to them Yeah, what did they think? (laughs) Give some back to the owner who gave us this dream job, dream vineyard? No, 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 no. We're entitled to keep it all to ourselves, to do what we want with it. So the refrain, they beat one, they, they kill another, and they stone a third. Here's the worst part about attitudes of entitlement. It's very hard for us to see it in ourselves. It's rather easy to see it, right? Like you look at this, this story, this parable, you think about people you know and you're like, <laughs> we're pretty entitled. But recognize it in ourselves? Not so easy. And that's why Jesus is telling this story. It's, it's a warning. He's saying, don't confuse entrustment with entitlement. Let me ask you, the house the spouse, the kids, 
the car, the job, yours, your time, your abilities, the financial gifts God's given you, whose are they? They're not yours. They're not mine. I know in one sense they are, right? Like you get to claim your kids on your taxes, right? You got some dependables. They're mine. Nobody else's. And and the spouse, right? That it's my spouse. It's my husband. It's my wife. It's my boyfriend. It's my girlfriend. These are my friends, right? In a worldly sense, you get it. Like you own the house. You own the car. It's yours. You're not worldly people. Not merely. You know whose you are. You know who has redeemed you, who has created you, who has given you everything. You have a trust. You have multiple trusts. You have been entrusted with so much good stuff. Do we confuse that trust with entitlement? Listen to God's word speak on this. It's not just this parable. Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. It's not just Deuteronomy. Let's, let's go to the Psalm, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, the earth is God's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it goes on. The world and, and all who live in it. That's, that's the Old Testament. Here's Colossians, New Testament, chapter 11. For in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him. And listen to this. Here's how it ends. All things have been created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And then this chapter of the Bible asks you some questions. Think, think through this. Who makes you different from anyone else? This is God's word. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? There's some questions, searching questions to, to blow up our attitudes of entitlement. Are you different than everybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? Ask yourself, what what do you have in your life that you didn't receive from God, that God created and gave to you? And if you didn't, why do you act like it's yours? You're entitled to it and it's produce. Surely you don't, you don't beat, you know, beat and kill and, and stone God, do you? No, but then when this idea comes that, that it's not your stuff, why do you beat or, or shoo away the idea that, that your time is, isn't yours to build up your little kingdom, to build up my kingdom? The time God's given you, it's to build his. Why do we just murder the idea that our talents, our abilities, they're for us and our glory, not God's. 
And we don't say it or do it, but when that pastor or that person talks about giving of your actual money to God, why do we think, Mike, oh, man, I wish I could stone that guy. I wish he, I could keep money out of the church. All they want. It's not, it's not ours. God's first warning here is don't confuse the trust that I've given you. Don't confuse entrustment with entitlement. There's a second warning. He sent, here it is, verse 36. He sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. It's just one verse, one line. But think about what's, what's going on in this story, in this parable. He sends people to collect some of the produce. What do they do? Murder, kill, beat, stone the people. And so what's, what's the, the owner's response to the farmers? More. I'll send more. I'll, gi- I'll give them more opportunities to do the right thing. Maybe they'll change this time. And so he does. He sends other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. If you're filling in the blanks, here's the second warning. Don't confuse opportunities with optionality. Don't confuse opportunities to to listen to God's word. That's just an option. (laughs) Yeah, I got some opportunities to to gather together with, with God's people around his word. It's an option. If work wasn't too hard this week, it's not that nice of weather. If I'm, if I'm feeling up to it and rested enough, it's not, not. When does God talk about it as an option? Let me ask you this. What is your attitude towards opportunities to hear, to read, to learn and, and grow in God's word? Let me put it another way. What's your view or your attitude of the people that God's placed into your life to share the message of his gospel? I'll admit, I almost didn't ask you that. I I thought it would be like maybe too much about me. Like, what do you think of your pastor? (laughs) But it's not about me. This is a warning from God's word to you, what's your attitude towards opportunities that I'm giving you again and again and again to hear God's word? And it's not about just me as an opportunity or church. Think about the people that God has placed into your lives. He's giving you parents. He's giving you children. He's giving you friends who love you. He's giving you coworkers and neighbors who speak the word of God into your life. How do you view it? When they do it, how do you, how do you view them when, when it's sometimes hard to hear? It's corrective. It's the law. How do you view it when it's, it's the gospel? Ah, the same old story. I know. Jesus died and rose. Heaven. It's an option if I go and, yeah. When is it an option? God's word talks about it in this way, just so, so we know this is not just this parable. Listen, Exodus chapter 31, the Lord, 
speaking to Moses and all of Israel, said, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it's holy to you. Why do we care about this? Why do we care about, about going to church? Is it just the right thing to do, the tradition? No, God's word, gathering around it with others. God says it makes you holy. That's an option. I mean, that's the Old Testament, right? No, listen to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. We, we talk about this passage. It says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You've heard that one before? You know what comes next? Very next verse. God's word says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy things the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? That means made holy. You see what he's talking about here, right? You, you think if God punished the people in the Old Testament for not observing the Sabbath, for not gathering together and, and honoring holy times to gather around what makes you holy? It's like, what do you, what do you think is gonna happen to people who know what they have in Christ? The Son. We have so many opportunities to hear the gospel. God's word warns us. He says, don't confuse them for an option. There's one, a third and a fourth warning. Here's, here's, the, here's the third. Verse 37. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. The owner is so patient, isn't he? He says, okay. All right, they, they killed my, my servants, but... Ugh. They're going to respect my son. They're not going to act in a shameful way. This, this, is, this is my son. This is his. This is his vineyard. Surely they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. shows how, how far gone their thinking it is. I'm sorry, but it's warped, isn't it? To think like, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, like it's one thing to think like, all right, we're just entitled or we're gonna be dismissive of opportunities. But to think like, oh, here's how we'll solve all this. We'll just kill him. We'll just kill him and then take it for ourselves. Then, it, then it'll really be ours. But you see what they're doing, right? They're confusing the patience of this owner. And this is the third warning. Third warning, don't confuse patience with permissiveness. Don't confuse God's patience to you as though he just doesn't care. It's permissive. It's fine. It's fine. You can live this way. Let me say it a different way. Don't think just because God is not punishing you actively it's okay. It's okay to do what you're doing. Do you. It's permissible. It's fine. But we do that, right? 
we think, man, life is so good. God has blessed me. And yeah, I shouldn't do that, but still healthy. Like, yeah, it's fine. We think, yeah, you know, I shouldn't. I keep doing that sin again and again, but I haven't gotten caught. <laughs> yeah, I really shouldn't. I shouldn't live this way. I know it's not right. I know I shouldn't keep keep dismissing opportunities I have or acting entitled for the things God has given me, but he keeps blessing me. So he can't be that serious about his threats. That's what this whole parable is about. Not to dismiss his, his patience. Don't confuse his patience with permissiveness. Verse 44 says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Let me paraphrase that. He's saying, don't trip. Don't don't be confused. I am the rock. And whether it falls on you or you trip on me, I don't get hurt, Christ says. But you will. You will. If If you confuse my entrustment to you, as entitlement. You will, if you confuse the opportunities that I give you to hear God's word, to, to repent, the opportunities that I give you with patience, if you think it's permissiveness, it will crush you. And then there's a fourth warning. Here it is. Verse 40, Christ wrapping up his parable, asked the people gathered around, what does it mean? He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Listen to their reply. Verse 41. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they reply. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops at the harvest time. It's fascinating, isn't it? The irony of what's going on here. Everybody listening, they get it. They get what should be done, right? That this is not a good way to act. That the wretched, evil actions should be brought to a wretched end. They get it, right? And God's parable, it, it hits home. He's literally talking about this group. These people, the religious leaders specifically, who have long actually murdered the prophets that God has sent, who have long mistreated John the Baptist, he talked about before this, who said, hey, look, Christ is coming. You got another opportunity. He's talking about himself, the son that, that's gonna come. And hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, one more time from the father. And in, in real time, they're gonna kill him. They're going to kill him in three days. But you see the warning, don't you? The fourth warning? The fourth warning is watch out. Watch out for God's reckless patience. Watch out for for how God actually responds to to these sinners. to, To these sinners. You see what he didn't do, don't you? He didn't bring the wretches to a wretched end. He went to a wretched end. Jesus didn't bring sinners to the wretched end that they deserved. Jesus went to the most wretched end on the cross for wretches. This is reckless patience. Let me explain that because reckless is kind of a loaded, loaded word. You know what reckless means, right? You probably think of like foolish or unwise or thoughtless, right? That's the first thing that comes to mind. And in one sense, we can say that about the the made up farmer in the parable, that it was foolish to just send your son. What you should have done is sent in the SWAT team, not your son. 
But there's more meaning to reckless. There's also a sense of courageous. You throw caution to the wind, and there's also a sense of, of real bravery and strength. That's what we mean here. That's what we mean in real time about what God is doing for these sinners that he's talking to who first heard this story and what God is doing real time right now here. He's just reckless with his patient. He's strong. He's gonna take the loss for you. He's courageous. Christ knows what he's getting himself into. Willingly, this lamb went to the slaughter for me and you. Look at one more verse with me, would you? Look at verse 38. Verse 38. In the parable, the the tenants saw the son and they said to, to each other, the heir is coming. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. But you know how this played out? They killed him. We killed him. And yet he did. He gave away his inheritance to you and me. Everything that is the sons, the vineyard, all that's in it, the good fruit of forgiveness, of righteousness, of peace, peace with God, a good relationship with the father, the owner, after you literally tread on his vineyard and and killed his servants. He says, it's all good. It's all yours. He gave you the vineyard. Friends, watch out. This is how God acts. This is the gospel. This is the story. It's all about him, really. I know, we've been talking a lot about us, about me and you and and the warnings contained herein. But do you see his heart? Do you see his whole point in telling you about how he acts? Amazing grace. A sweet, the sound that saved, what? A wretch like me. He didn't bring the wretches to a wretched end. He went to that end for me and you. No matter how many times we've confused entitlement, or excuse me, entrustment for entitlement, no matter how many times we've confused the opportunities that we have to hear God's word, no matter how many times we've taken his patience and dismissed it and treated it like it's permissiveness, he comes again and again with his word, with his word of forgiveness. How I want to wrap up this sermon is is by making three applications three applications of of God's reckless patience in our lives. And if you're filling in the blanks, here's the first one. Simply this, behold God's patience. See God's patience. Jesus quoted Psalm 118 to them. He said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and made it marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this. This very day, let us rejoice and be glad. You think about that idea of just like marveling at something, just beholding it, just seeing it, is the first application. Just, just see the patience that God has, has given to you. Psalm 118 makes it so vivid. It starts out, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. When, I, when hard pressed, think about that. Times you feel hard pressed by sin and guilt, but just life. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Think about how patient God is with us. Think about 
Just see it, behold it. How patient he is that, that when sin crushes us, he says, just wait, I'm gonna proclaim my forgiveness to you and I'm gonna bring you into a spacious place. Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I was pushed back, about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I will give thanks for you answered me. Don't confuse, don't confuse patience with permissiveness. Just stop and behold and see how patient our God has been with us. You think about how, how that plays out in our life. That takes us to our second one. Simply, don't simply behold it. Second film like is trust God's patience. Trust it. it. It's not only marvelous in your eyes, but this cornerstone that, that, that sinners rejected was one you can build your life on. See God's patience and then trust God's patience. Think about in your life that, that the times that you felt impatient, maybe specifically with God. God, I, I'm struggling. Why won't you help me? If he has not been patient with you, you might, you might wonder that, but he has been. You can trust this patient that, that he is the one who helps you. You think about the times where maybe the frustration or the impatience comes with something else. God, why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you helping? You can trust God's patience. What can mere mortals do with you? 118 says, Psalm 118 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Trust in God's patience. Trust that the God who is so patient with us and our relationship with him, so patient, in fact, that he willingly sent his son, he's gonna take care of everything according to his time. You can build your life on this patience. You can, you can marvel at this patience, trusting God's patience. And the last one is, so just produce God's fruit. Look at verse 43 and 44 with me. The last verses we read. Jesus says, I tell you that the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. What happens when you touch a stove? Pull your hand back, right? When you get burned, you pull your hand back. Literally, you pull back. Figuratively too, when, when you get burned in life, you don't trust as much. You're less patient, right? You kind of pull back. Not God. You see, he, he got burned, right? By the ones he loved, by the ones he came to save. But you see, he, he doesn't pull back. You see what he does? He opens up and gives. Friends, listen, listen again. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He gave you the kingdom. He, yeah, he's taken it away from, from others. He's taken away from people who, who continue to confuse things. But he's given it to you. You are a people's who produce fruit. I mean, look at, look at you. You're taking the opportunity to be here. Look at you. You don't confuse his patience, not anymore, as permissiveness. 
you are a people who, who has produced fruit and you see his, his patience, you see his mercy, you've beheld it and you know this, know this, that your father, this farmer, he, he's not a God who's out here just trying to get what's his. No, he's one who's, who's so patient again and again. He, he sent his son to you. He sent his son to you to give you more and more opportunities to produce fruit. And naturally out of thanks for that, we do, you do. Friends, I told you, no one really likes warnings, right? Maybe you didn't really like this sermon or, or this parable, but warnings are good because warnings, they actually save lives. And so I'm warning you, God is reckless with his patience. Rejoice in that. You've been warned. Amen. Amen.